Okay, so it's my pleasure today uh, to be recording this podcast with a uh, friend and partner at Embattled Capital, Jack Lasky, and a man that should need no introduction, uh, Roger Ver, uh, aka Bitcoin Jesus, aka lots of other things. Uh, someone who has been one of the most consequential figures in blockchain and Bitcoin from the beginning, uh, and a person to which, you know, uh, if you were not around, uh, unbounded capital would likely not exist in the way that it does today. Uh, so Roger, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today to have a conversation about Bitcoin Cash, Bitcoin SB, and, uh, you know, how they both are trying to promote liberty worldwide. Yeah, thank, thank you, Zach. And uh, I want to thank uh, Jack uh, for writing a really well thought out 13-page uh, long email. Maybe it'll be a little bit shorter by the time he <laughs> publishes it publicly. But basically, he laid out the case for, uh, for Bitcoin SB over Bitcoin Cash for those that are interested in voluntarism or anarcho-capitalism or that sort of thing. And uh, I thought it was a very, very well-written letter. Uh, as I was reading it, though, the the biggest thing that came to my mind, and I'd love to get Jack's feedback because this is the first time we'll have to, to talk about it because I just read it a few hours ago, um, was that uh, all of the arguments that he was making in favor of SV, I felt applied uh, equally, if not maybe even more so, to BCH. And I uh, would love to hear Jack's thoughts on why the arguments he put forth, maybe do he, he doesn't view them as applying equally to, to BCH, uh, and he views them as being specific to BSV. Yeah, sure. And, uh, and maybe summarize what some of those arguments were too while, while we're at it for people that didn't read the, the letter that you wrote. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is something that I'm passionate about as an individual, this topic. I'll let it be known, and I mentioned this in the letter, that, you know, what we do at Unbanded Capital is not necessarily, and not really at all explicitly trying to promote liberty. We're just trying to, you know, act as fiduciaries uh, for RLPs. But you know, we're fortunate in that we're in an industry that I think there's a lot of synergy between those two goals. Uh, and I don't think it's a coincidence that it's, that's the case because I think liberty and uh, economic progress and opportunities to make money, these are all tied together, I believe. Um, so I think pursuing our goals as capitalists is similar to pursuing our goals as anarcho-capitalists, or at least my goal. I don't want to speak for others on our team who maybe don't identify that way yeah, yeah, to speak for myself, Jack, just, you know, uh, the reason that I wanted to get involved in blockchain and crypto and Bitcoin, uh, you know, was was largely out of, you know, changing the world and making the world a better place before kind of coming to the vehicle of investing other people's money. Um, I think now that seems like the, the best way for me personally and for us to be able to affect that change. Uh, but just kind of want to make clear for anyone listening that, uh, you know, it it's more kind of ideological or uh, the word impact investing has a lot of baggage, but investing out of non, you know, primarily financial financial motivations is kind of why, why we're here today. There might be a little conflict between those two statements, but take it for what you will. I don't um, think so, but we can okay. discuss that another time. <laughs> anyway, so I'm going to release uh, the letter I wrote uh, an open letter to Roger, which was at first a closed letter to Roger. I might, as Roger uh, alluded to, update that to make it a little more digestible and clear. But you know, my feeling and what I tried to sort of communicate uh, was that, and, and this is I think where maybe we need to clarify things and we can do so on this call, is that 
I see a major distinction sort of directionally between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV is that Bitcoin SV is pursuing scale as sort of the sole and primary goal, where I think Bitcoin Cash is also pursuing scale, but it's simultaneously pursuing certain things that maybe make it more friendly for uh, to be used as extra legal money is a term that we've used at Unbanded Capital or you know, money that's suitable for, or even optimized for gray or black market activity. And so I don't think that BSV can't be used for those things at all. Um, and I don't think that Bitcoin Cash isn't pursuing scale, but I think in terms of where are the priorities and what is the direction, I think the divergence is mostly along those lines. And that's what I tried to address in the piece. I didn't wanna to focus too much in this conversation on like very specific things that maybe uh, you know Bitcoin ABC is doing or, or more technical things, we can get into those. I'm happy to talk about it. But just in terms of direction and how that impacts pursuing liberty worldwide, uh, my feeling is that Bitcoin at scale is a positive force for liberty and that Bitcoin as extra legal money is both impractical not necessarily as strong of a case that it, it, it promotes liberty worldwide um, and is unlikely to be successful. So that's sort of what I tried to lay out in this piece. Um, but I wanted to ask you, because I, you know, I got your response that you felt like these things applied to BCH and BSV, and I, I agree with that. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what do you see as the difference between the two at this point, maybe with particular emphasis given to the direction of the two projects? Yeah, um, the direction I feel is really, really similar, but I, I highlighted some of the stuff in the, in the letter this morning as I was reading it. And one of the things that you said, which I completely agree with, uh, but I think it was it's so important that we should talk about, it. you said scale isn't just throughput, it is usage. And I think that's where the big difference at the moment is between BSV and BCH. Um, I feel like there's lots of stuff that's maybe being built on BSV, but there isn't very much actual usage today. And there's also tons of stuff being built on top of BCH. And the biggest difference I see between BSV and BCH in regards to that usage is that, you know, Craig and Calvin have kind of tainted the well with suing every single major exchange operator and just leaving a bad taste within the existing ecosystem for Craig and Calvin. And Craig and Calvin shouldn't be synonymous with BSV, but the sad reality for the rest of BSV is that to a large extent they are in the minds of a lot of the different people out there. Whereas Bitcoin Cash, I, Bitcoin Cash has a terrible reputation and I'm sure that'll be cut into a sign, sound bite and used against me later, but Bitcoin Cash has a terrible reputation within cryptocurrency. BSV has an even worse reputation within the, the realm of crypto. I think both of those reputations are undeserved, um, but that's the, the reality of the matter there. And Bitcoin Cash, to its credit, though, it's accepted at more than 100,000 websites around the, the world. BSV isn't accepted at very many websites at all. I, I don't know exactly what the number is, but I would be surprised if it's more than 1,000 uh, at this point. Uh, and that's a very, very big difference from, from Bitcoin Cash. So to go back to your point that uh, scaling isn't just about transactional throughput capacity, it's about actual usage. I think Bitcoin Cash has a giant head start from where BSV is uh, today. But you know, you also mentioned that the price of BSV is lower. That gives you more potential upside uh, as well in, in that front. So uh, 
but I, I thought that point was, was, was spot on, that it's not just about transactional throughput capacity, it's about the actual usage, and I would love to hear your thoughts uh, and, and elaborate on, on, on that from there. A, a suggestion for just, you know, th this conversation is that we can get into a lot of the details in terms of what Bitcoin Cash is being used for today, what Bitcoin SV is being used for today. So obviously, I think other other metrics and ways to kind of gauge usage uh, that are perhaps like more favorable for BSV, less favorable for Bitcoin Cash that I personally would think are, are more relevant for usage, but ultimately in, in both of our visions, both Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV is still an absolutely tiny fraction of what we want it to be and how we want to make change in the world. So I think it would just be better to speak more to kind of the, the kind of the bigger picture or the end game and maybe getting there as opposed to getting bogged down in the details of, you know, how much each is being used today. Well, I think it's a good point, Zach. I was, I was actually going to say something kind of similar, which is that, um, you know, in terms of how do you evaluate which is being used more today, uh, there are different metrics you could point to for each that would suggest that one is being used more or the other is being used more. Obviously, I think, you know, a lot of people who are supporting BSV are going to be thinking that this is an outrageous statement. Go to coin.dance, you're going to see that there's way more transactions on BSV than Bitcoin Cash. But, you know, in fairness, those are different kinds of usage. Those are coming from a few businesses which are demonstrating sort of an experimental use case. Um, I think I, I can't personally speak very well to, you know, what are the differences in entrepreneurial activity on each. I see and evaluate many, many businesses that are building on BSV. Um, and so I see where things are headed and, and I do see progress. I, I have sort of an unfair perspective in that I have a lot of access to project or progress that's happening behind the scenes uh, with companies that are building on BSV. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, ironically, licenses being procured, things of that nature uh, in order to do things like be a money transmitter. Um, and so those things have taken time and I'm confident we're gonna see some of that stuff come online soon. But yeah, I think Zach's point is, would be my point as well, which is that, you know, it's not just about throughput, it's about usage. Um, we're in agreement on that. And I think long-term, neither of us are satisfied with the usage of either Bitcoin Cash or Bitcoin SV. And so I think what's maybe more important is which will be usable for more people um, over time. And is there something in the roadmaps between the two or the approach between the two, which maybe suggests Bitcoin SV or Bitcoin Cash will be more usable? Something that I don't think I articulated as well as I could have in terms of bringing examples uh, is that I think Bitcoin SV and the original protocol, and this isn't because it's the original, I'm not this kind of person who would say that because it's the original, it's the best. Um, but I do think the original protocol had a certain amount of flexibility, which made compliance simple, not automatic. And obviously compliance is, you know, there's probably not really such thing as being fully compliant in 2020. There's just too many laws. Um, but, you know, to the degree that you can be more or less compliant, I think it's easier to be compliant on Bitcoin SV. And I think things like coin mixing and Schnorr signatures, that doesn't make compliance as easy. So I think that is the sort of thing that exists on Bitcoin Cash today, which I think could be challenging for businesses 
going forward who want to use this. And I think that's been evidenced to a certain degree by things like the IRS. You know, we both have probably similar feelings about the IRS generally, but they are a factor in you know, the decisions businesses make. And they singled out technologies like Lightning, which was interesting, but also Schnorr signatures as things that they were going to be looking into. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean that those things are going to be unacceptable. That also doesn't mean that you can stop people from using those on either technology. But I think in terms of where is the focus, uh, what you're seeing from the Bitcoin SV side is that people are trying to make it as simple as possible, including from a compliance standpoint, uh, for Bitcoin SV to be used by enterprise. And I don't see the same thing happening on Bitcoin Cash, but admittedly, I'm just not following it as closely as I'm following Bitcoin SV. So I'm wondering if, I mean, do you, do you see a difference in the usability between the two? Um, or is compliance, how do you weigh compliance in terms of like evaluating which would be better for business or which would be better for individuals? Yeah, I, I think there's two different hats to wear there. So you put on the philosophy hat, it is an ANCAP. Uh, you know, all these regulations are just strangers threatening other peaceful people with guns and it's not okay. If I put on my businessman hat, you have to obey these men with guns because uh, they'll shut down your business otherwise. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think blockchains enable both use cases. Uh, I don't think that they're they're exclusive there. The the part that turns me off a lot from the BSV community, and there there's a fair number of ANCAPs in the BSV community, but the louder voices by far seem to be these guys saying, comply with everything the government says and we're gonna you know patent everything and then force everybody with patents to use BSV. And that's just philosophically such a big turnoff. And then even you know from the business standpoint. I think that that's, that's an uphill battle to sue everybody into using BSV by using patents, but that seems to be a lot of what I hear from some of the loudest cheerleaders in, in the BSV camp. And to me, on a business level and a philosophic level, I, I find that repulsive. I'm, I'm not interested in suing people with patents to try and get them to use a particular type of technology. I want the technology that's the most useful to the biggest number of people to be the one that people get to use. Yeah, no, I understand that. You know, in terms of like, the patents, uh, or, or let me start by addressing like the loudest voice in the room, because I think that is a, a really interesting topic in terms of what should your private and public rhetoric be, you know, when you're trying to promote a technology that you believe will have a positive impact, you know, on liberty. And my feeling, and this is something that I definitely did not always feel when I first started, you know, to understand Bitcoin, I did not feel this way, but I do now. And, and that is that I don't think that it's necessarily beneficial to the cause of liberty to strongly associate Bitcoin um, with things that sort of smell of lawlessness, anarchism. Not, you know, not that I have you know, a particularly, I don't have a negative reaction to those sorts of things, but I think a lot of people do in, avoid that. And so if, if the rhetoric coming out of a camp is one of compliance versus one of, you know, sort of trying to optimize for black markets, and I don't know that that's necessarily what BCH is doing, but to the degree that one would do that versus put forward a message of compliance, uh, I think the message of compliance is probably going to be more successful in terms of getting businesses to use that technology. I, I, I agree, actually, and that was my original strategy when I got involved in Bitcoin. One of the very first things I did, we launched in 2012, 
uh, and at that point, about the only thing you could buy was the illegal things on, on the Silk Road. But then I launched BitcoinStore.com, where we listed more than half a million consumer electronics products available for Bitcoin. And that really changed the narrative in the media, because before that, everybody would just say, oh, the only thing you can buy with Bitcoin is, is drugs. And then at that point, suddenly you could say, oh, you can buy more than half a million electronics items at prices on average cheaper than Amazon. And that really, I think, helped set the scale for mass adoption and getting, you know, companies like Newegg and Tiger Direct and, uh, you know, Microsoft to start accepting Bitcoin. Whereas before you had something like BitcoinStore.com, the stigma was certainly like this is only for criminals on the dark net. And, but, but the same was true of the Internet in the early days, too. People viewed the Internet as this place that was only used by bad people and criminals and uh you know, lo and behold, now there's still bad people and criminals using the Internet, but the Internet's used by everybody else. And I think the same can wind up being true of cryptocurrencies. But also in the early days, to a large extent, it was the you know illegal gamblers and other people doing illegal things on the Internet that uh, really got it started and kicked off. And the same was clearly true of Bitcoin. If it wasn't for the Silk Road, uh, Bitcoin would have taken much, much longer to get started or get rolling or, or, or maybe it wouldn't have ever gotten rolling. Uh, the Silk Road was really the impetus uh, that got Bitcoin started in my book. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to comment on that just because, you know, it predates me uh, in terms of, you know, I've, I've really only been in Bitcoin since 2018. So I defer to your perspective there. Um, it seems like we're agreeing on a lot. So maybe we can talk about the IP strategy and I guess just sort of as a business person or as an ANCAP, um, how do you navigate a world where there is this actor and chain amassing this patent portfolio um, with a stated intention to use those patents? Uh, now, I don't know. I don't think there's necessarily that much detail about exactly what patents will be used in what way. Um, but I, definitely, it seems like that they're going to be used to try and get people to build on BSV as opposed to other technologies. I guess what I would ask is, do you see any validity to the argument that having Enchain be the one who's wielding those patents is better than some alternative organization that maybe is less Bitcoin oriented or less liberty minded? Because I do think, and maybe you disagree with this, but I do think Craig at least is has a lot of good qualities when it comes to liberty, even if he has some less good qualities when it comes to liberty compared to Zuckerberg. Craig is a really interesting and difficult person to, to read. So if you, and they deleted a lot of his videos, but if you go and watch some of his videos from, I think it was the Anherm conference a few years back, yeah. he's saying really strong libertarian stuff and talking about how they're going to make Bitcoin completely anonymous and all the stuff in his tone or the things that he's saying now is very, very different. And so in regards to your question, is it better that that Inchain has the patents than than Facebook? Probably, but we don't we don't know yet, right? That's just speculation on what their future usage for those things are going to be. And uh, the fact that they're already suing everybody over all sorts of just absolute nonsense doesn't make me particularly optimistic about the way they're going to use those patents in the future. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know. Given that that's a negative for you, what would it take, what, what would have to be true about Bitcoin SV for you to prefer it to something like Bitcoin Cash, even though there was this, you know, sort of negative? 
I think in my book, Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV are almost the same. Uh, with the big, the only difference is that Bitcoin Cash has more infrastructure and uh, a bigger network effect, and not as bad of a reputation, uh, deserved or undeserved, as as BSV. Um, but you, you know, I, I have lots of different cryptocurrencies, and I would have no problem with owning a BSV uh, either at this point. I, I think the best thing that BSV could do, um, if you can view BSV as one, you know, monolithic entity, would be to distance itself from uh, from Craig and Calvin, and uh, in the end chains of, of the world. I, I feel that's that's the thing that probably drives the most people away because they're nobody likes to be sued, and I think uh, you know the worst business mistake that they made was suing the heads of just about every major exchange out there. Uh, that was a disaster for, for BSV from a strategic point of view, whereas Bitcoin Cash is listed on just about every single major exchange. And that's a, that's a really big, big difference. But, uh, you know, own some Ethereum, own, I even own BTC still. Uh, I don't have any, I have zero grudge against BSV as a currency, uh, even, even if uh, I think Craig and Calvin and Inchain uh, haven't behaved particularly ethically the part that really left a bad taste in my mouth was before the BSV and BCH split, there was a meeting held in Bangkok amongst all the miners uh, to figure out what the next step on the scaling roadmap was. And so Craig was there, Calvin was there, everybody agreed. And I forget the exact days of the week, but I think the meetings were supposed to be like, let's say Saturday, Sunday, it was supposed to be two days. And so if the meetings were supposed to start Saturday morning, on Friday night, everybody you know was in groups and going out to dinner together and whatnot. And I was at dinner with uh, with Craig and Calvin and Jimmy and a, a number of other people were there. We had a nice dinner and we talked about things and everybody I thought was uh, looking forward to starting the meeting the next morning. So everybody went to bed that Friday evening. And then uh, when we woke up Saturday morning, getting ready to start the meeting, we noticed that Calvin's you know media arm of uh, CoinGeek had put out an article saying that the meeting that hadn't begun yet, but they had an article that came out on their website saying that uh, the meeting in Bangkok has been a huge success. Everybody has decided to follow, you know, Satoshi's vision, and uh, this is the path forward. And everybody at the conference was really annoyed. Like, hey, how did your article come out saying this? And we haven't even had the meeting yet. Calvin didn't show up himself to the meeting at all. Craig was only there for an hour or two before he said, this is all, you know, bullshit and lies, and then stormed out of the meeting. And then I asked, you know, Shatters and some of his other people who were there at the meeting, I said, like, do you agree with Craig? Is this all bullshit or lie and lies or what the, the people are asking about? Is this a, a legitimate concern? And even Chatter said, no, this is a legitimate concern. And, and then the, the consensus from the majority of the room at that point was the reason that Craig left is just because he didn't have the technical chops to even hang with the discussion. And so his way of getting out of that and being exposed on that front was to just, you know, call it a bunch of BS and lies and, and leave the room. But the part that really was bothering to me was that CoinGeek, put out the article before the meeting had happened saying that the meeting was a big success and everybody had agreed to follow uh, Satoshi's vision. That That's really dirty underhanded stuff in my book that, uh, that I don't find, uh, I don't find that acceptable to, to behave like that. And that's exactly what they did. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I don't think we can really comment on what happened in that meeting. Um, and we I'm should curious. clarify that that's a problem with, with InChain and Calvin and that group, not necessarily with the monetaristic characteristics of BSV itself. Of course. Uh, you know, I'm curious. I think your message has always been really sort of payments oriented. And I, and I do think that that's, you know, one of the most important 
aspects of Bitcoin. And it's certainly been, I think, the most important aspect and way it's been used to date. I'm curious, just generally, what are your thoughts on some of the non-payment use cases that are being put forth uh, in the world of BSV? And do you think that, you know, in terms of non-payment use cases, there's currently maybe more infrastructure that's available at this point in BSV compared to Bitcoin Cash? Yeah, that's that's probably my impression as someone who's just kind of on the edges of BSV at this point. Uh, the the use case as you know, money and payments, that's what kicked off Bitcoin to begin with. But maybe there's a whole new, you know, wild uh, world of exciting stuff that's going to be possible on something like BSV. Uh, you know, as Craig mentioned, that it was a Turing complete before anybody had any idea that that was potentially even possibly the case. And so there does seem to be more of that sort of thing uh, going on that uh, whoever Unwriter is, is like absolute uh, amazing. It's hard to believe it's just one person, but uh, if, if it's one person, he's extra, extra amazing. Even if it's a group of people, they're all amazing. Uh, the amount of output that that guy has. And I, I think that was probably one of the biggest losses for, for BCH when that split took place was losing a, people like Unrider and then, uh, you know, QP Chan and there's a number of other great guys that, uh, that went the way of BSV that really made me stop and think at the time, was I on the right side of that fork? Uh, I don't know. Still to this very day, I, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe I shouldn't have been, uh, so forceful and quick to jump to, to one side or the other. But, uh, if Calvin's coin geek had published more accurate, uh, articles of the meeting, I probably would have had a, a much warmer feeling towards the other side. But the fact that they were basically just full online about what happened at the meeting in their media arm made me think, well, I guess that's not the, the right side to side with. And that was part of what made me take the big, the, the loud stand in the original scaling war within, within Bitcoin. Uh, I was a big blocker at heart, but I thought, okay, maybe there's, there's some sort of an argument for keeping the block small. So I just kept my mouth shut and was watching everything and reading everything. And then when I saw the small block side do everything they could to start censoring the big block side from having their arguments heard, well, that was the argument. Oh, that's the only argument I needed to know. If you have strong arguments, you don't need to censor your, uh, your, the opposing arguments. And that's exactly what the, the small blockers were trying to do. So I figured that, well, that must mean that the big blockers' arguments are stronger if the small blockers were resorting to censorship. And so that's when I, I took a much stronger stand there. And it, I think it was kind of a similar experience with the, the BSV, BCH thing when I saw CoinGeek put out just blatantly false uh, news reports on, on the meeting there. But uh, again, that's, that's CoinGeek, that's Calvin, that's, that's those guys, that's separate yeah. from the current monetaristic characteristics or, or you know, even things outside of the payments use cases, uh, characteristics of BSV. And so uh, if it's useful, people are going to use it. And I have, I have no problem with that whatsoever. But I think the same is true of Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash is far, far, far more useful for payments than BTC is at this point. And uh, I would love ANCAPs all around the world. You know, why not both? And you can use your, you know, Monero and Zcoin and Zcash as well while you're at it. Use, use anything that's useful to you. And uh, from an investor, move your capital where you think the capital is going to be in the future. And uh, I see a lot more businesses building on Bitcoin Cash, probably because I'm most focused on Bitcoin Cash. And I'm doing a lot of the investing myself on that front. And maybe I'm, uh, I'm just plain not aware of the, the stuff that's happening on the BSV chain. Yeah, I think that's a good segue to, I mean, as Jack said, like, we're certainly biased in the other direction. We're solely focusing on the BSV ecosystem. So we're going to be aware of a lot more going on there as well as behind the scenes and vice versa. Um, but I think what might be helpful, Jack, is 
just explaining a little bit more about the kind of the non-payments use cases for Bitcoin at scale, because I think from, for, from our perspective, and I think for, for many people, if not most in the BSB ecosystem, um, there's the, a point of view that even if say, uh, Bitcoin via Bitcoin SV were to become the most popular way for payments to occur in the world, that would still be like a, a fraction of what Bitcoin can do when it's at scale in terms of kind of being this global database. So I think Jack, maybe just kind of going into the, the non-payment use cases, what we're seeing today, you know, perhaps even speaking a little bit to Planaria as, as Roger, we also agree that Unrider is phenomenal and we, you know, invested in his company. And, um, you know, I think his, his view of the world, the products he's building are more centered around things that aren't payments rather than payments. I would yeah. love to hear about that because that's probably where I'm, I'm, my knowledge is lacking the most about BSV. So tell me about the MetaNet and, and all these other exciting things, please. Well, it, it really does actually, I think, come back to payments. Um, and the, what, what it is about payments is how low can you get the minimum possible payment? Uh, and that would be, you know, obviously what you're using to pay fees. Because um, I think that's what's most consequential. Essentially, you know, I see Bitcoin as a record-keeping system. It's something that I mentioned in this piece. Uh, you know, I, I think people maybe don't think enough about or appreciate the sorts of you know amazingly low fees that we've seen on Bitcoin first on BTC, then on BCH, now on BCH and BSV. Uh, it, it's just not something that people I think have appreciated. Obviously, <laughs> um, you know, I was actually, we did a LP webinar about Ethereum, which is a project that, you know, we have a lot less, I mean, I don't think Ethereum will work. Um, and it was interesting, I, I reread parts of the Ethereum yellow paper in preparation for that webinar. And in the very first sort of introductory paragraph, they talked about Bitcoin as a demonstration of how, you know, you know with this new technology, you could transact virtually for free. And I just thought that was uh, sort of a sad, but both a promising, but also a sad thing to read that, you know, when Ethereum launched, they saw Bitcoin as this example of something that could be used virtually for free. Um, now obviously, at that time big, it was. yeah, at that time it was. And, you know, why is that the case? I think what's underappreciated is, is two things. And I think this is, this gets into a lot of why I think Bitcoin can be useful you know, for lots of other applications. One is that, and this is something that, you know, a close reading of the white paper would kind of clue you in on, is the unbundling of payment services. Um, you know, part of why a Bitcoin transaction is so cheap is because you're not actually getting that many services. You're just getting written on a, you know, public ledger, you know, move this from here to here. Obviously, it's a little more complicated than that. Um, and the, the other aspect, that makes it so cheap is that all the information that you need is on one system. Uh, this isn't the legacy financial system where you have an account space system. By the way, the accounts is why I think Ethereum will have a really, really hard time. Um, but we have a legacy account space system where you're sort of constantly having to transport records between various institutions. So really it's the centralization, ironically, of information that I think has led to such low transaction costs on Bitcoin. Uh, 
And so I, what I'm excited about is as that minimum transaction size uh, keeps going down, what more can you do in terms of record keeping? And you know, as we all know, uh, when something gets cheaper, you can expect to have more of it. And I think that there's a lot of areas where having more record keeping would benefit economic growth. You know, we've seen, I mean, what underwriter is building are basically infrastructure tools to allow Bitcoin to be used as kind of a central repository of data. You know, that's, that's something that's actually, there's a lot of specifics in doing that that become challenging. Um, but in general, what Bitcoin is really good at is ordering transactions, keeping records. Uh, and I think we, we see things like Unisat, Seafood Chain, excuse me. Those are early examples of someone who, I mean, obviously supply chain is something that people have been talking about. I wish to use blockchain for supply chain for ages now. Um, but really what supply chain is, is you're just trying to keep a timed order of records. And I think that the way we can do more of that is by scaling as much as possible and getting that minimum transaction size as low as possible. I think we lost Zach. Um, oh, Roger, are you still here? But yeah, I can see and hear you still, but we did lose Zach. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so what is the MetaNet? It's just, you know, I think that idea being put into practice, I mean, there's a specific MetaNet protocol which is a way of using Bitcoin as a record keeping system to create things sort of akin to an internet-like tree structure. And there's a lot of different ways that people have approached uh, the, same, the same concept. But yeah, essentially I think it's, it's about centralizing data and it's about um, cheaper records. And it's actually something that you know, I thought you had a really good way of putting it in a video, sort of a random video from a few years ago, I remember watching where you talked about entrepreneurship being bringing things from where they're less valuable to where they're more valuable. Uh, and my, what I think Bitcoin so, serves as, you know, sort of being potentially a very promising, is really, the, I guess the location of Bitcoin is what I think has so much promise, um, is that when you have this, centralized, highly efficient record keeping system, you can move things onto that system where it's more convenient that it's all there. Uh, so eventually I, I actually see things, if we're extremely successful, and I mean, this, this could apply to Bitcoin Cash as well. I just, I see a lot less effort towards these ends, um, or at least I haven't been made aware of it. But ultimately I think we could see things starting to optimize around Bitcoin because Bitcoin as a location is so valuable. And to me, that's something that I tried to get across a little bit in the letter I wrote is that how are we actually going to pull off like the sort of ultimate goal of, you know, Bitcoin as hard commodity money for the world, which I think is where you really start to see like accelerated um, economic growth. Or in my mind, that would be the major goal if economic growth um, and economic freedom, but I think especially economic growth is your priority. And so uh, to me, building this location that's incredibly valuable to businesses across the world and governments across the world 
that's the best way that we can accomplish that. Um, and so, you know, as an ANCAP, that's really what excites me. It's, it's the value of Bitcoin as a location for records. A centralized location where, for all the records so they can all interact with uh, the other records that are on the same, same platform? Yeah, and as a, you know, if all your records are in one place versus a thousand different government offices across the world or, you know, a thousand different websites, um, a thousand different databases across the world, you know, 25 different Amazon web services, um, server farms. I think if, if you have um, redundancy and efficiency, which I think Bitcoin actually provides both, a lot of people focus on the redundancy and think that that's a reason why it's inefficient. Uh, you know, I think that the block size restriction is basically the reason everything is being perceived as inefficient and people are just using inefficient technologies as a benchmark to create even more inefficient technologies. Um, I, I just don't think there's anything inherently inefficient about Bitcoin. I actually think it's, for what it does, the most efficient system ever created. Uh, and that's why I think that we should be trying to use it as many places as possible. Yeah, I, I guess that was one of my big arguments during the scaling civil war within Bitcoin is that the market, the miners that are producing the block space should decide what price to charge for data in that block space rather than a bunch of software engineers to decide, uh, okay, this is the only, basically putting a production quota saying the miners are not allowed to produce more than this much block space. And uh, to BSD credit, I think they've done a better job on that front than, than BCH has at this point. There's some people within the BCH community uh, calling for a limit on the size of the blocks. And I, I think that's a mistake. I think the miners need to be the ones that decide what size blocks to produce. Yeah, I think, I mean, one thing we've seen on Bitcoin SV, which I think is really, really positive, but that has been, I think, difficult for some people is the sort of degree of ownership that miners are starting to take. Because even though we've been, you know, maybe as a big block community, like railing behind the idea that the miners need to be the ones to sort of take charge of the system, um, there's still been a world where things are kind of more communal, things are more oriented around like trying to convince developers to do what you want them to do. Um, and there's certain expectations about the way things have been or the way things are going to be. And on Bitcoin SV, I think these are starting to change as people are actually paying more attention to what are minor incentives. And sometimes minor incentives are not necessarily something that lines up with the status quo of how Bitcoin has worked. You know, for example, like a shared mempool. Uh, I don't know how long on BSV at least, a mempool like what exists today is going to continue to exist. And I think that we're gonna see continued innovation in a sense, but more so from like a business perspective than a technology perspective on how miners interact and what kinds of commercial agreements pop up between various miners. I think thinking of the mining network as a set of sort of equivalent nodes that each do the same thing, that each you can kind of interface with them um, without giving much thought to like who you're interfacing with. I think those days are coming to an end, at least on Bitcoin SV, where we're seeing people are becoming more explicit about what services they might offer, what rates they're going to charge, 
and we're starting to see um, disparity between those. We, and some of those have fallen on their face, like Mempool, for example, I think tried to maybe charge a rate that other miners weren't comfortable with, and they ran into some issues. Um, but ultimately, in a proof-of-work-based system, you're going to approach the efficiency of your most efficient members because they're, they're going to be the ones who are going to be able to invest in more equipment at a higher rate than others, or potentially rent equipment at a higher rate than others, which I think is something else that we might see happen, where the people who are actually running the software which processes transactions aren't necessarily going to be the same people who operate uh, these large data farms full of servers that are hashing. Uh, I, I think those could start to separate as well. I'm, I'm kind of ranting now. It's not necessarily on the topic of which of BSV or Bitcoin Cash will promote more liberty worldwide or which is more likely to do so. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that in terms of achieving that goal, at least in the realm of Bitcoin SV, uh, the autonomy and sort of innovation from a business perspective that we've seen from the miners is really promising. And I'm wondering if maybe similar things are happening in Bitcoin Cash. Uh, yes, yeah, so the miners, I can't speak so, so much because I speak for them because I'm not really involved in that as much. The things that I'm really excited about is that we have deals signed with the, some of the biggest payment processors in the entire world to roll out Bitcoin Cash across their entire network. And uh, that's a pretty darn big deal uh, in my book. And uh, for better or worse, or, or you know, the sad reality is BSV isn't even, even on the radar there uh, with that deal. And, uh, but again, there's a thousand different cryptocurrencies out there. I wish them all success. And we have a, you know, a decentralized, a, a decentralized ecosystem of cryptocurrencies in general. And so if you have everybody on one single platform, then, uh, you have, you know, you're at risk of catastrophic failure of that one single platform if some sort of bug is found. So I think it's actually kind of a good thing that there's so many different cryptocurrencies all competing for space within the market. And it motivates the people within each ecosystem to try that much harder to produce that much you know, better stuff. And uh, yeah, and mm -hmm. your letter was fantastic. I think everybody should read it. Uh, it was, it was uh, very well thought out. And uh, uh, usually when people send me 13 page emails, I think, oh no, and it's just a rambling mess. But your, your email was very uh, coherent and lots of very interesting points. And I think my biggest critique to your letter that you, I think your intent was to espouse why you prefer BSV. Uh, I think all the reasons, almost all the reasons you gave for why you like BSV apply just about equally to, to BCH. So. Yeah. No, it's, it's yeah. interesting. It's I, wonderful. Um, I'll, I'll have to, I would, I would have to do a lot more research to be able to say whether you're right or wrong. Um, just because I, you know, I don't know, enough about Bitcoin Cash at this point. My hunch is that BSV is going to scale um, more quickly and that Bitcoin Cash is going to run into issues of usability um, because there is more effort given to the sort of, I don't wanna call it the black market use case, but I'll call it the black market, market use case uh, in trying to you know, when you when you talk about like the sort of Arnhem conference and anonymity versus pseudonymity versus privacy, I think there might be a an instance of minds have changed, rhetoric has changed, or perhaps like terms have become more specific 
you know, because I do think that by far the best way to actually accommodate, especially like the gray market or sort of small scale black market um, use case is just massive scale. Um, the harder it is uh, for the inherent traceability of Bitcoin to be applied to an individual, the better. And I think the way we get there is through terabyte size blocks. Um, and I, I think there might be some disagreement between Bitcoin Cash developers and Bitcoin SV you know, entrepreneurs about how scalable is Bitcoin actually. We wrote a book where we kind of addressed some of these questions. I actually don't think there's any scale ceiling to Bitcoin um, in the long run. So, yeah, I think scale I, is the best. I agree with you on that as well. So. Um, yeah, I, I think, I mean, honestly, we should just, we should have stopped listening to developers about Bitcoin a long time ago. <laughs> um, especially on matters having to do with scalability and uh, protocol level decision making. You know, everyone has their own set of competencies and I think that we've learned a lot about what is not in that set when it comes to people who are primarily developers. Yeah, there, there seems to be a lot of uh, over pessimism about uh, you know, the future of, of computers and Moore's law. And I'm, you know, I'm older than a lot of the people in the cryptocurrency community. Uh, I remember very clearly, uh, you know, selling 2,400 baud modems. And then when I ended my career in that area of the tech space, I was selling 100 gigabit optical transceivers. So that's, uh, you know, more than a million times uh, fold increase in like two decades or something like that. And it's, you know, a million times increase. You don't have to do that. I have a million times increase too many times before you basically have effectively uh, close enough to infinite scale. So uh, I agree with you there. And in regards to your comment on, you know, outlaw money, and that sort of thing. I think Mike, Mike Hearn summed it up best. Uh, he said, even outlaws can't use an outlaw currency. The best way to facilitate gray market or black market commerce is to have everybody using the currency. And then there's room for the gray market and black market stuff to hide in with all the, the white market stuff that's going on out there. So uh, kudos uh, to Mike Hearn for seeing that and, and saying it so succinctly early on that even outlaws can't use an outlaw currency. So Roger, on that point, um how do you view then things like short schnorr signatures or mixing, which ostensibly make it easier to say evade laws and regulations in terms of the goal of scale and people using uh, Bitcoin? So I used to really be a big fan of Monero because the privacy is right there at the protocol level and it's turned on all the time by default. And what we saw happen is around the world, like countries like Japan and South Korea and a bunch of others, if you run an exchange, you're not even allowed to have Monero be one of the currencies that's uh, traded on your exchange. And so that's why I think it's so good to have the privacy tools on a layer above. So things like Cash Fusion on Bitcoin Cash that you can get right now for your desktop computer. We're busy building that into the Bitcoin.com wallet. It'll give you privacy in the same ballpark as a Monero, but it's not at the protocol level. It's level, a layer above. And I remember from the early days of Bitcoin in 2011, everybody thought Bitcoin was totally anonymous. They didn't even use the, the pseudo anonymous wasn't a word that anybody was even using in the, in the you know, Bitcoin ecosystem there. Everybody thought it was completely anonymous. And that was one of its strongest selling points. The transactions weren't just really cheap. They were completely free most of the time, like all the way up until somewhere in like maybe 2013, the vast majority of all transactions were completely free as in the fee was zero Satoshis per byte. Uh, and people thought the transactions were totally anonymous and the transactions were basically instant. That was the selling point. And so that's what we want for Bitcoin Cash, or at least that's what I think the right strategy is, is to have 
it be available to everybody. We have super fast, basically free, and as private or as public as you want the, the transactions to be. If you want them to be completely private, fantastic. If you want them to be completely transparent where everybody can see how much money you have and what you're doing, that's possible too. And uh, I think that's a real strong selling point. And I think the vast majority of the world will want the private transactions turned on. But for the ones that don't, they don't have to have that. And then we can still go to the regulators and say, hey, the Bitcoin Cash blockchain is a completely public blockchain. You can trace each and every single transaction on there. Uh, and if other people are doing things that are illegal with that, you need to go after them for, for those illegal things. But it's not the blockchain itself that's inherently uh, facilitating those things. It's just tools that people built on top of that blockchain. And uh, if you haven't checked out Cash Fusion yet, uh, it's cashfusionether.com or .org, I forget which, but it's really, really amazing. There's so many potential ways that you've shuffled up your Bitcoin Cash. Uh, there's more ways than there are uh, atoms in the entire known universe. So that's a really, really, really big number and can give you some pretty darn strong privacy. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually, I think that's probably the thing I'm the most excited about in the ecosystem is Cash Fusion getting rolled out into the Bitcoin.com wallet. I think that's a really powerful selling point for Bitcoin Cash. Mm -hmm. How do you think about, um, and not necessarily as a business person, but as an end cap, how do you think about rhetoric and what kind of role that has in terms of getting sort of a inherently pro-liberty technology like Bitcoin into the world? Um, surely to a degree, I'm sure you're <laughs> toning down like what you really think in some settings. Um, but just as a general strategy for ANCAPs, um, do you think there are risks to, like, I mean, we can just take what you just said as an example. Um, you know, if, if what you're most excited about in the industry is a technology like Cash Fusion, is that something that you would maybe put forward, emphasize, you know, across like the Bitcoin.com brand? Or do you worry that that will hinder the adoption of something like Bitcoin Cash? So I'm in a bit of a unique position in that I already earned, you know, so much money that I don't, I don't need to raise any venture capital. I'm not begging to, you know, Silicon Valley VC firms to, hey, please invest in Bitcoin.com. So who I want to appeal with at Bitcoin.com are just the masses out there. And, the, and I think the thing that the average Joe on the street would want is fast, cheap, reliable, and super private payments, right? Because who doesn't like that, right? The only people that might be scared of that would be potential investors in Bitcoin.com that are scared that that's going to get Bitcoin.com into some sort of regulatory issue. But I'm not based in the U.S. Bitcoin.com isn't based in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. is the scariest jurisdiction in the world in regards to that sort of thing. Uh, but, uh, you know, this is for we're trying to build the tools to empower individuals all over the entire planet to have 100% complete control over their own money. And so if I didn't have a bunch of capital and if I was trying to raise funds, then yeah, maybe I wouldn't focus on that. But uh, the position I'm in at the moment, I can focus on whatever I think is the most useful to the most number of people around the world because I'm not out there with my hand out, uh, you know, asking for, for money or for people to invest in, in Bitcoin.com. Yeah, I guess this is sort of along the lines of, I think what I was kind of touching on in the letter I wrote, because you know, I, I understand why. So I'll put that out there. But I, I do think that, you know, if you're dealing with, you know, cash that has been shuffled, uh, you, you present, or at least my understanding is, that it presents a risk to people who use that money down the road that um, if 
some of the cash that's been shuffled turns out to have been you know, involved in some sort of like large criminal enterprise uh, and governments want to freeze those funds. And by accepting money that has been shuffled, you might end up getting some of your funds frozen. And to me, that would be the kind of thing where even though the same thing is possible on Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin SV, if I'm a business and I've, I'm aware that this is a threat, that if I accept this money, I either one have to, you know, maybe the analysis isn't that hard. I can just not accept money that's been shuffled and maybe it's that easy. And so it's not gonna be a factor at all, but maybe it dissuades me from doing something like building on or accepting Bitcoin Cash versus Bitcoin SV, because my understanding is that just a lot more cash has been shuffled on Bitcoin Cash and a lot more money that I'm gonna potentially get could be, could have been involved in some kind of criminal activity just because purely from the rhetoric, perception only, whether that has any basis in reality or not. So, so that's the kind of decision-making I'm, I'm wondering how you approach, you know, in terms of which is, I guess, you know, if, if max, if a lot of scale and a lot of usage is the goal, does it concern you, you know, the sort of optics of being so supportive of a cash fusion type technology? Uh, short answer is no. Uh, the more nuanced answer is uh, we have empirical evidence as to why that's not a problem. So this is a $100 bill I just pulled out of my, my wallet here. Uh, almost certainly this has been used to facilitate crime. Uh, almost certainly. And just about every single dollar that, uh, you know, dollar, physical dollar bill that people come across at some point has been used for some sort of illegal transaction. Yet just about everywhere in the world, including I'm, I'm not even in America right now, and I can walk into just about any store in this country and they'll still accept this piece of paper, even knowing that almost for sure this piece of paper was uh, used in some sort of a crime. In fact, this one's probably even more likely than most dollars in the U.S. to have been used in a crime because I wound up with it in a foreign country here. Yet just about anywhere, people are more than willing to accept cash, even though they know that it's been used in a crime at some point. And I think that's one of the big advantages we have with the Bitcoin.com wallet being one of the most popular wallets in the entire world. If we have something like Cash Fusion turned on by default all the time for everything, we have over 12 million installs of the Bitcoin.com wallet uh, out there. Uh, if the Cash Fusion is turned on for every user all the time by default, then uh, it's, it, it'll have the same sort of view as like the dollar bill that I just pulled out from my wallet. Yeah, maybe people shuffled it up and some people that had used some Bitcoin cash for some sort of crimes, coins were shuffled in there too. But that's the fact of all physical cash, like dollar bills, and it'll be the fact with all Bitcoin cash, but it won't be, it won't hinder commerce uh, one bit. So uh, long story short is no, I, I'm not worried about that hindering commerce. If anything, I think it'll drive commerce because if we can market to the public, hey, you have a completely private wallet right there in your phone that you can send and receive any amount of money with anyone privately. Nobody can freeze your account. No one can block the payments. No one can stop it or spy on you or control it in any way. People are going to love that. And uh, if you know, we only have 12 million wallets right now, I think we can get to 120 million pretty quick uh, after that. So. so a difference that comes to mind to me, Roger, is with physical cash, you don't have this immutable data ledger that shows kind of the past transaction history where with Bitcoin you do. So it would be perhaps there's a desire from law enforcement to say crack down on money that was used for kind of criminal enterprise in the past. Although today, typically money that's frozen is you know a, a very small minority of money that is used for crime, typically associated with you know larger criminal enterprises of which you know they're maybe not going 
you know, 10 wires back, there may be going one, two, three. Uh, but if there is a ledger that shows exactly where that money originated from and you could pinpoint kind of when it was used for crime and then everything after, perhaps it's more the technology that is making it, the, or the lack of technology uh, for kind of the laissez-faire attitude around cash rather than the desire of law enforcement. Yeah, I, I think uh, the whole point of cash fusion is so that you can't see what the history is. It's like if you put a bunch of dollar bills in a bag and stir them all up and everybody puts in $20 and they stir them up and then everyone gets back $20. You don't know if you got the same $20 back or a different $20 back. Um, but uh, everybody assumes that every everyone is the same as every other one at that point. And that's one of the characteristics that make money money is it has to be fungible. If it's not fungible, it's not good money. And if you can track every single transaction and then suddenly, uh, oh, you can see this was used for, you know, a drug dealer used for something else. So it becomes worth less. Well, that that's decreasing the amount of fungibility the money has and makes it less good money. Mm -hmm. Well, I think there maybe are people who would dispute that, but I'm not going to uh, try to. Um, but what I will say is that I think we're clearly seeing that there is an effort to move away from cash in part because maybe cash is better um, for things like facilitating criminal activity because it's hard to trace. Um, and so in a world, or I guess my point is that I think people understand that like we have the technical capacity to not need cash. And there are people who would like to see cash eliminated for exactly the opposite reason that you wanna see cash persist. Um, so, you know, while I, while I agree with you that the US dollar um, in the form of cash is a strong precedent for this kind of thing um, in a world where people are already moving away from something that's established as the US dollar because of that quality, you know, I, I have concern that um, if Bitcoin is perceived to be like cash in that regard, then there might be uh, a desire to send that the way of the paper dollar. Um, that is to say, get rid of it. Um, now, I don't know that Which they'll be able to. Back to yeah, I, I think that leads me back to what my goal was initially, is to get as much adoption as fast as you can around the world. And if you have widespread mass adoption, uh, it'll be kind of too late to, to put an end to that. So, mm -hmm. And with that, my battery's uh, down to 5%. And I, I can't plug in the laptop where I'm at at the moment. So I think that's probably where we're going to have to wrap up at the moment but I, I really enjoyed uh, our conversation Jack and I really enjoyed your letter this morning as well and I'd, I'd be very open to having part two of this conversation uh, maybe in a couple of months too once we've seen where both ecosystems have, have headed at that point so yeah um, I would love it as well you know Roger I want to thank you for the work you've done and also being able to or being willing to take on people like Charlie Lee and Samson Mao uh, those are <laughs> I think those were really important conversations to have and to put out in the public. And you brought a lot of passion and knowledge to those topics. And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's sad that Bitcoin's progress has been retarded because of those decisions made by people like Samson now. But I think that your response to those uh, in those formats will help to accelerate or will accelerate the progress and have accelerated the progress from that point. And so for that, especially, I'm very thankful. I think that's uh, about the, the kindest ending you could possibly give me to this chat today. So thank you very, very much for Jack uh, for that, Jack. And I look forward to watching you and your team and see what you guys are able to do to help uh, 
push forward and speed up the, the adoption of this uh, amazing technology around the world. So thank you for, for getting involved in doing that as well. Likewise. Thanks for your time today, Roger. Thank you, Roger. Have a, have a fantastic day. You guys too. Thank you so much.